Architecture doesn't exist in a vacuum and neither should you. Whether it's a design critique or understanding how design connects to a larger world, gaining insight is invaluable for architecture students. Well, actually, all students in general. In these interview sessions, guests from professors to professionals and everyone in between will share their experiences and thoughts on design and the built environment. In today's episode, I'm joined by for a guest interview and it's been long in coming because this dude's been on sabbatical for a while. I got Professor Paul Flurke. I've had the pleasure of teaching with him for a long time now. Mind you, I don't think you've ever allowed me to teach with you, Paul. I'm just putting it out there. No, um, it hasn't been the occasion yet. So. But, but we're next door neighbors in the cool corner of the faculty area, right? So mm-hmm. he's my next door neighbor. I don't know if my music drives him nuts, but hopefully that, you know, good walls make good neighbors. Right. But, um, I just want to give a warm welcome to Paul Florka. Do you care to introduce yourself, my friend? Yes. Well, well thank you very much for inviting me, Vincent. Uh, it's really a nice opportunity to, uh, to be able to uh, introduce myself on this platform. Yeah. So, well, yes, my, I'm, as you said, I'm Paul Florka. So it's, uh, you might notice it's a, it's a German name, a last name, but it's a very Canadian first name. And so that's, uh, that's where I'm originally from. I'm from Canada. I was born in Toronto and grew up here as a classic Canadian boy playing ice hockey on, on ponds in High Park and uh, playing baseball. So uh, that's where, where I'm originally from until I was uh, with my family. We relocated to Germany because mm-hmm. there's some German heritage from my father's side. So and um, in Germany, that's where I was, um, was able to be educated and high school and uh, university. And uh, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the way everything started for me. So, so then when you were in Germany, um, I, I'm assuming, which Berlin or, or, or no, 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 Dortmund. no, 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 not, no, now you got, yeah, it's all over the place. So it's Northern Germany. And I studied and we relocated to Hanover. Hanover is a, is a Northern city. Maybe it's, it's a, you could say it's a one and a half hours south of Hamburg and one and a half hours west of Berlin. So it's, uh, you know, Germany is very dense. And it's 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 called the Leibniz University. It's a, it used to also be a technical university, but was then renamed, and had a, a very strong architecture program. So back then it was more or less diploma, and it was uh, it was laid out as a five or six year program, um, which no one was really able to do in in six years. Most most students uh, used it at least the average I think was around just seven and a half to eight years. Uh, but, I did, but I did do it quite quickly because um, from two things, I mean, even though you don't, you didn't, still don't have to pay for any fees when you're studying in Germany, you do have to, of course, uh, accommodate somehow your lifestyle. So you have to either work for it or you have to study quickly, depending on what you want to do. So, so actually, Paul, while we are talking about your university days, I mean, uh, mind you, it might be a little bit dated to talk about the model in Germany, but um, it surprised me to hear that, wait, Germany's, Germany, they have things that go late? You, extend, you had people that didn't finish on time? So to yes. tell me about what was it, what's the degree that you got? And was it like a joint degree or was that just typical because of experience or how, how, why did it take so it was, long? It was typical because also of experience. Um, what was typical, first of all, it was a diploma. It was called back then a diploma. Now everyone has through Bologna process, everyone has bachelor's and master's. 
But um, what we also had was this, this kind of pre uh, an internship that you'd have to, you had to do, and it was uh, uh, at least three months, three to six months in a major trade, a major construction trade, so bricklayer, rough carpenter, carpenter, and at least three to six months um, in an office, in an architect's mm -hmm. office. So more or less something like a co-op, if you wish, because yeah. a combined co-op. And some students opted to do this during. Uh, there during the program time and some students opted to do this before starting the program so you could do it before actually going to university that used to be a mandatory requirement of actually doing the internship before entering entering the program but then they softened that and said well people want to work in an office and they want a little earn a little on the side while they're studying and so on so that extended the program mm -hmm. a little that was actually the reason in content wise well content wise i mean it's um, back then there was not a lot of um, well, so the universities in Germany are divided up into institutes and you'd have institutes that were very challenging and demanding a lot from students. And if you had wanted to have a good grade, you really had to step up. So what that meant is you might be uh, maybe dropping out of courses or putting courses aside and doing them to a later date and that extended the program. And that was part of the whole Bologna process. You know, we were supposed to coordinate the courses more and not that one course that was set up for 90 hours is actually asking for 270 hours input, right? So, Holy moly. <laughs> we, yeah, that was, the, the, those were those days, but that's the program. But in the end, you were, um, in the end, when you graduated and so on, you were, um, you were fit for an architect's office. So, so, so did that mean that you came out licensed or was it that no. you still had to do the, because you already, you talked about the kind of right. internship that you do in, you know, before or during your process. Right. Do you still have to do more to get that apprenticeship hour mm -hmm. qualification? Then you have to, it's a two, uh, uh, back then it was two years. I think now it's, it's even two and two and a little more. Um, but you had to do a two year, more or less t your time in an architect's office uh, doing going through all project phases so it's, it's similar to uh, the uh, the project phases you have here in Ontario only that uh, Germ you know Germany splits them up into nine fa architects phases uh, from the first design to the actual project delivery and, and documentation and so on so you had to go through all of those phases and then you became a licensed architect and what I did back then was that uh, I had um, some colleagues and we wanted to uh, found our own office. We wanted to do that very quickly, which you couldn't do if you weren't a licensed architect. So we found a very good partnered, uh, partner office and, and they took us in to, to work with them on projects, but also handed us over the responsibilities to some major projects that we could more or less direct on our own. So we become very familiar with what it's like to actually have your own office. So we were like a spin-off of an office inside a larger office. And uh, that was a great opportunity. They were extremely generous to allow us to do that. And so after the two years, we spun right out of that office and founded our own office because at that point you guys were one of you or more of you were licensed right all of us were licensed oh, at that okay. point yeah three so, three of us all together back then so then i mean you you clearly did well as your own office right and that that uh, i mean i i was wondering if you could just name some like every prof that has practice we we like to say that um we can 
call out a project and, and say it, right? Like, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about Ryerson Profs. Either you're like a leading edge academic or you've kind of got a project on your belt. Now, for example, I know you in that the one project that I really know well is your sniping hut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's done with students, of course. That's a, that was a design build project with students. And, but in my office, I mean, you can always go onto my homepage and you can find out um, some of my, the work that I've been doing more recently. After that office, the work we worked together on as the three of us, uh, I evolved out of that office into my own office when I'm on going back to university. Mm -hmm. So, so um, major projects that I have, I would say, you, well, if you if you look at the that the, the work I've been doing, let's start with residential projects and residential projects that I I started on uh, on working on because I wanted to do something that was uh, advanced and innovative. Mm -hmm. That was and. Uh, reflecting on that. And, and so I, in the area that I was living in, in a more rural area uh, outside of Hanover, was um, doing working on, uh, they called them back then, low energy houses. So a, a house that would have a very low energy consumption. And I, I've, they were more or less um, wood construction buildings, the first wood construction buildings in low energy housing, and they've mm -hmm. got certain subsidiaries from, from the government and so on. And uh, that was difficult back then because it wasn't, I mean, today it's more state of the art that you say, yes, of course, we have to watch out that we you know climate change and so on. We have to make sure we have good um, performing buildings. But back, back then it was more of a, um, you got raised eyebrows from the, from the older architects, you know, still thinking that you were uh, ruining the aesthetics of architecture if you were using too much insulation on your houses. So that was a that's that's still something I'm very strong in the foreground that I'm working on. If you can, if you go to my website, you can find a very interesting residential house that well, maybe you put that stuff in the show notes. We'll have links to your site. So yes, that'd be great because so I mean what the, it, it's overall the overall just to give name and number I think around 50 55 kilowatt per square meter per year the whole energy consumption including uh, providing warm water and so on and so forth. So that that is just for the energy consumption. Then it has a, a rainwater collecting runoff and using the rainwater and so on and so forth. That's in the residential area. That, that was a, a very strong focus of mine. Another focus that came out is um, because architects will be increasingly challenged by the existing built environment. So there's, if, you know, we have a very a strong inventory of buildings that are existing. Uh, let's say in Europe, for sure, it's about 90, 95%. So, you know, do the math, only 5% are actually being newly built buildings. Everything else is retrofitted, renovated, or somehow reused. Right. And that became increasingly a focus of, um, of my work as well, especially in research area. So that's was is titled as building an existing context. And there's this, um, you can also, any student can download that for free. It's, it's uh, uh, focusing on rooftop extensions to highly densify the urban core, for example. So using actually what is there, uh, there's a lot of potential in those buildings, also structural potential, not only architectural potential to actually um, rethink these buildings. So that's, that's another very strong, interesting area. And another side that I then deviated from later on was a lot of consulting, consulting to design. Mm 
So it's like project consultant up to a certain design level where we don't, as an office, didn't execute the buildings, but prepared the buildings to be executed. So not necessarily deep into a detail for some, yes. For example, for Siemens, I did um, factories and office buildings and they were detailed on a level of up to one to 20. Uh, but they were like meant as more, the, what did they used to call them? Like a, a standard guideline detail or something like that. Okay. A standard guideline detail. So follow this guideline open for interpretation, but that's the way it works. And on another level, um, hospital, hospital design. So, uh, and we were involved, uh, it's, it's, it was through some networking, I'll be honest too, because as architects, you have to rely on networking. It's 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 who you know and, and how you how you um, disseminate your expertise. So people come aware of you and uh, and actually think they'd like to hire you for a certain job. And so um, through this kind of detailed work we were doing, we came into contact with a very important um, physician. And he was a, a, a very prominent figure in transplantation, yeah. uh, transplantation of, of kidneys and liver uh, transplantations. And he was um, interested in promoting a, a totally new clinic, incorporating research and actually um, clinical surgical use of mm -hmm. uh, buildings. So to, to bring those two together. And that was about, um, did that for two, two uh, hospital designs over an intensive process of three to five years. So we slowly segued out of that. It became very demanding and the control to the architect um, is very low in that area. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah I, I can imagine. A lot of budget goes to equipment and standard. Uh, oh yeah. Standard. And uh, I mean, they even say you can, over the years you, you, the, the, the building, a uh, hospital is actually gutted and reassembled and put together with all new stuff. So it's, but it was a very interesting process and it was uh, got, got a, a lot of insight on how our, in, um, how our actually our hospitals uh, work today and will work in the future. But if you, if you look at the, span, let's say the scope of my career and I think it's, and I don't know if it's typical for an architect, but it's, it's typical that we in architects move into areas that are often unknown to us. Mm -hmm. uh, even residential, you think you know how you live and you know, you know bathroom, bedroom, living room, but, it's, but everyone has a very different interpretation of their life and of their lifestyle. So it's always new to us when we meet clients, how we will actually accommodate uh, what they know, what they wish, mm -hmm. and all the, the unknown wishes that they, we have to actually, you know, unfold for them and, and develop with them. Yeah. But now, now here, here's my question then. At, at some point, you talked about the residential growing into like, you know, working for Siemens, that's pretty impressive, but then going mm -hmm. to hospitals, right? Mm -hmm. So you went to, was it the hospital project that finally broke you and said, you know what, forget this, I'm going to go teach. Like what, what caused you then to go uh, into No, no, well, well, to be honest, what, what happened there is um, something I would say very, you know, normal in life that uh, the two of the, the offers partners I, I was working with, uh, they became a couple and they wanted to go on a world tour. And um, more or less, it's that simple. Uh, the office had to re reconfigurate. And I was, I would didn't want to, you know, be alone in the office working with a dozen of helpers. 
on my own. So I used that opportunity to, to uh, reorientate myself. And what I thought is where I would, I, where I thought I would meet uh, people who were innovative, good thinkers, and maybe, you know, uh, get together as a group and to work on projects would be at university. Again, with the assistant professors who are really interested in academically thinking and, and rethinking things, but at the same time, trying to see how they're realized. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I went back to university or applied to university and uh, got a position as an assistant professor. Was that and Dortmund? That was in Dortmund. That's the Technical University of Dortmund. And oddly enough, I did my PhD in architectural theory, architecture and planning theory. So it's more like design theory. But the, uh, the institute I then applied for was uh, a design and building construction. Mm -hmm. So you, you'd think, well, how does that fit together? Back then, uh, they thought it was great bringing in someone into the, this kind of technocratic environment that was actually also questioning uh, a certain kind of methods uh, they right. were doing. So, and that's why I was, I was brought in. I was brought in for that. And uh, I had my PhD back then already. I did it at, in Hanover at the Leibniz Uni. And... Um, brought that expertise in and that was a very very uh challenging time because it was a lot of friction too as you can imagine between someone questioning things in an institute that has been operating for for a long time on a certain set of parameters that they that they set for themselves so then in that in, in dortmund then i mean you taught there for a while so what what did you teach then i taught uh i taught um design and building construction so what we, I lectured for, for um, to uh, engineers and architectural students because it was a combined kind of a combined department, mm -hmm. much closely, much more closely knit than the, the, the faculty we have. Mm -hmm. So we had three major projects, almost similar like to Studio One, uh, Studio Two, and Studio Three mm -hmm. uh, that, that we have for the first, second, third year. And um, we were most involved in the, uh, in the third year where, where architects and engineering students, they would work on a, on a project similar to ones, the ones we do in third year, like let's say a five to 10,000 square meter building with, uh, with compartmentalized kind of concepts and also wide spanning concepts to bring those two together. So I was lecturing uh, building construction and in the first year and in the third year, first, second, third, and fourth year, actually, yeah. to, to uh, engineering and architecture students, yes. So that we, you had a, um, a filled theater, so about 300 students sitting there, right? Most of them. So just to make sure I understand this, so our listeners understand too. Yeah, sure. In Germany, the regular model of operation is that architecture students kind of work you know, in, in certain shared courses with engineering students? No, that's, that's, that was a, that's good that you mentioned that. That was called the Dortmund model of education because they, the founders of that model in the late 60s uh, was, was two prominent people. A prominent architect um, was from Busse and a Poloni, a very prominent engineer. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, they were constantly mourning uh, over and, and very unsatisfied with the with the separation of the of the two professions that mm -hmm. they were intrinsically actually connected to each other, 
and they wanted to bring back this connection at least on a collaborative level mm -hmm. and that's the why they way why they invented this dortmund model uh dortmunder model bauwesen that's what it was called and the the interesting thing is yeah so that was very very um new to that landscape at that time and still i probably would say still is and our other universities i mean there are about 50 institutions that teach architecture in germany so yeah. unlike unlike canada where there we, we have 12 well, uh, and there are about 15 universities and the other is our universities of applied sciences and then there are some art uh, academies that also teach architecture in a different way hmm. and so every all so the most uh, most architecture faculties teach architecture like ryerson's okay. Okay. or you know u of t or whatever they're not the same man just to make sure right 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, so then you taught at Dortmund for a while, and then you flew over across the ocean and you came back to your hometown, Toronto. Right. And then tell, tell us, like, you, you, you settled in and uh, you've been making a name for yourself. Traditionally, when people think Paul Florica, they typically think third year studio, right? And mm -hmm. I hate to break it to you, but that's what the kids say on the street. You know, you read on the writing on the, on the washroom stall. Sure, why not? Paul Florica's third year studio. Um, <laughs> But this year, you're, you're breaking from that. You're going to be doing grad. And you've, it's not the first time you've done grad, right? No, no um, it's so not the first time. It's the third. Uh, it's actually the, the fourth time I've done grad. But, but, uh, but it's the first year master's. And you're teaching with uh, as one of our past uh, guests, uh, Will, right? Will Galloway. So right. uh, do you want to enlighten some of the students that are listening that are potentially coming into master's, what they're set for? Well, give it away all. don't give it all away, though. Don't give it all away. So, well, yes, I mean, um, I would, this is actually good. So just let me segue a little bit into coming back to Canada uh, very shortly. And the reason for coming uh, back, uh, and I wasn't actually didn't have envisioned, envisioned somehow coming any time coming back to Canada. That was not on my uh, grand design for my life, you know, one day to, to return to, to my roots. What was happening uh, in the landscape also through the Polonia process in Europe was um, the change, the change is at our own faculty in Dortmund and the changes across the whole uh, European landscape in architecture. And what I was looking for is um, instead of constantly repeating myself over the years, I had been at Dortmund then for 12 to 14 years, I think mm -hmm. that was my time, uh, to find an, uh, an opening somewhere where, you, where I could feel that I could be more influential of the development of a program. And that's what I was looking for. So Ryerson wasn't the only option on the landscape mm -hmm. for me. I had Altogether, I had three very strong options that I was looking at at that time. And I chose Ryerson because I found uh, when, I, when I made that decision that it had a very interesting master's program. And it was at uh, that time even quite young still. I think it was maybe four or five years old even. Yep. And even two master's programs because building science was also a mm -hmm. master program relatively new. And looking at the Master of Architecture program, this two-year program and the, this thesis project, you know, uh, that, that follows uh, um, you, this, the dedication to this, this uh, 
nine to 12 months that, that students are working on a thesis independently, uh, almost in the quality of, a, uh, I wouldn't say PhD, but it has the quality of this independent learning in it that has this quality of a PhD, I found very intriguing. And I, I thought that this would be a this would be great to be, to be part of to further develop, mm -hmm. and that's why I made that decision coming coming to Toronto. I know that it came also with with obligations to teach in different areas, like the third year or uh, the the course that I taught f uh, for five years in the second year uh, construction project ASC three hundred four. So I know that came with that, those obligations and a lot of service obligations uh, naturally as well, but that was the focus. And so, and I must say, I have not been disappointed there at all. Um, the, uh, the master's program, as far as I've been involved, has been a, a very exciting one. And mm -hmm. I've worked in, I've worked together with Marco Polo in the, um, the fall term studio. I've worked with Russell Richmond in the winter term studio. Um, I worked uh, on my own in the in the then still existing spring summer studio, uh, taking students abroad for over two and a half weeks to Switzerland, Austria, and, and southern Germany, and looking at new wood architecture. So that's been that's been very exciting, and and connected also with um, with the fall term with Marco going to Venice to the Venice Biennale, and 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 with Colin uh, Ripley who is also teaching concurrently teaching a course in that uh, in the vulture so and bringing these these in the collabor on a quite um, yeah, I would say effortless effortless kind of way of collaborating with the colleagues and bringing this content together to the benefit of the students so they, they see this as a as a joint approach I found that, that I find, still find that really exciting and now I'll be teaching with will so and um, uh, Will Galloway, and as you know, our new, our new colleague, and uh, we will we will not be able to travel to Venice, sadly, because of this, the circumstances we're in. But um, uh, and uh, we're not even thinking of compensating for that. But we will be we will be still tackling and and moving forward on the topic that was announced at the Venice Biennale. How will we live together? Mm -hmm. So and especially in under COVID-19, an even more pressing question. And so uh, um, that's what we're looking forward to. So, and we, we will be also uh, using this, this, um, this new kind of online teaching, remotely teaching for the students as an opportunity to engage on a, on a different level, but still on, a, on the same, with the same intensity. Yeah. And, also bringing in the same kind of international voices because through this kind of internet scenario that we have, we also have the opportunity of bringing, bringing in international crits, for example. Yeah, so, that's gonna be kind of cool. Like, I mean, between the two of you guys can pull in folks from Germany and from Japan in, in that one studio, that's gonna be right. pretty cool. If they're willing to get up early uh, or, 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 or stay around late, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. But yes, I mean, sure, no, that, that's surely something we're, we're aiming for. And um, no, we're really excited about it and looking, looking forward to it. So, so then just coming back to some of the, the kind of teaching uh, that you do. So um, I, I wanna go from masters back to third year because I know a lot of students also 
worry about third year, right? And right. as a studio master or a coordinator from third year uh, in the past, and, and you've been really good about massaging the curriculum every year, like getting it incrementally better. Mm -hmm. um, what, what kind of advice would you have to students that are really worried about what they're going to face in third year? Well, that's a... Why should they be worried about what they're going to face? Um, Legend has I mean, the third year's intense, man. Come on, you know that. Yeah, I know, but but you know the, I would I would say I mean the the worry is, is something when you, um, or let's say that put it differently. I find the best way to to work off and your your maybe your anxiety or your worry towards something is that you tackle it. And uh, that you you don't try to stay away from from the assignment or the requirements of the assignment. That but that you move forward on them. And everyone's different there. You know, some can bite off a large piece and chew it right away, and some ha you know, ha have a more of an incremental approach. And I, I think you have to find your right pace there. And finding your pace, and then organizing your work individually according to your pace. So that would be that would be one kind of um, advice I could give to to to, to let's say diminish your worries. Mm -hmm. Another another thing is there is that is the community, and if I have a worry myself through the remote teaching is that it is maybe more difficult. I don't know. I'll have to find out myself because I haven't been teaching because I was on sabbatical. Mm -hmm. Is to um, is to form this kind of community as a, let's say, especially in third year studio, and will be the same for, for masters, uh, around your section, you know, around your section and your, and your instructor and uh, with your peers and also working together with your peers, not isolating yourself and sharing your, uh, you know, sharing your worries, sharing your paces, maybe sharing your expertise. Uh, you know, we know everyone helps each other out. And uh, have you seen this precedent here? I found this and oh, I, it's better to draw it like this or use this tool that way. And that you build this community and that you're not shy of, of interacting with each other. So don't, you know, don't go into to a form of reclusion or, or so, but, 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 you know, put yourself uh, into, into this kind of mode of communication. Yeah. And um, yeah, that would be my advice. There's, uh, there's, yeah. I'll tell you right now, Paul, the problem with the, the students now and during the pandemic is exactly what you're talking about. Like we know that studio is really great because you can turn left, turn right, talk to a colleague, see how things are going, see what challenges they face. And you can even see what's like, you know, when people are gone, even you're like working alone in studio, you still see the evidence of what other people have been doing. The problem right. with going online is that you're literally on your own, right? And you right. really need to find that community to kind of share your work and share the kind of standard and expectation of, of project delivery. Right. Um, but, but I would say that in, uh, just, just to let you know, Will has experience teaching master studio online from uh, right. last winter. Uh, with Cheryl. So I, I actually got to sit down through one of his, uh, I had to review his teaching. Um, so he, he's, he's a pro, so he can, he can show you the ins and outs of that stuff. But you're right. Mm -hmm. It is a challenge coming out from, you know, sabbatical and you're like, what the hell did I just come into? Like, this is, this is right. a new world of education where it's like <laughs> Zoom yeah. studio reviews. So it'll but, but that. But that's right what you're saying about, you know, you get to walk by the tables and even as an instructor, you get to walk by the tables and you suddenly have a, you know, an, an idea or, or, or some kind of um, encouragement for a student sitting over something. And um, 
this is uh, we're thinking of maybe for around masters introducing something like a blog or something or a rolling kind of blog mm. where it's where you can share your work what what i i re, i remember and was i think in lausanne and the architecture factory in lausanne they had this um long wall that was you know going up the staircases and winding up almost like a ribbon and they used this wall to constantly exhibit their their work and not not finished work, not final work, but work in progress. Mm -hmm. They would just pin something up and people walking by would write comments on it or take a look at this example or that's, you don't put, you, you know, you don't put the vapor barrier there, you put it here. Uh, so, you know, all across the board. Okay, wait, so students would be like, what are you, dumb post a post-it note and say- Right, it's, for, for example, yes, and it was, and it was anonymous almost. And uh, some offices in um, a, a two or three that I know in Switzerland have actually adopted this kind of, this kind of working. So they have this large wall where they just, you know, post unfinished work for certain projects. Some, sometimes people even asking questions, but, but you know, that letting it sit there and see what, what reaction will, will come up. So, and not that kind of physical thing that, 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 that Lausanne has, that kind of physical thing, that would be nice to have it as a virtual thing. And where, where we can't, where, you know, uh, where we have a non, of course, constructive, creative comments. No, we're not talking about, um, yeah. Uh, uh, trolling kind of stuff. Right, we're not talking about that or kind of, of uh, you know, for people where you're actually degrading someone. We're talking about uh, things that, that help you. So, so yeah, that, just, just to keep in mind, when a student does it, it's called like unhelpful. When a prof does it, it's called <laughs> <laughs> So, but I mean, it, it's about it's about sharing your work. I mean, I'm not involved in third year at the moment, so, and I and um, I could even think in the winter term. I hope that we're all back at the table in the winter. Are you term. in third year? In, you're third year in the winter, right? In the winter, I'm in third year, and uh, but not as a studio master this yeah. time. That would be Carlo. Carlo but Carlo has uh, Carlo and I have been in close contact, and uh, as far as I I know, he has adopted a lot of the things that that we've developed over time. So. I know I'm looking forward to that and too, but of course, when you're doing detailing and you, you're sitting together with the student, you, some, you'll need to sketch and you mm -hmm. have a different kind of talk. So, uh, and I hope, that's why I hope we're back to the table too, yeah. especially for that contact. You know, I'm uh, just as you, Vince, and, and many of our colleagues, and um, we're, we're there for the students too. That's a, it's, it's the students that we find also invigorating in, in, each, com in each talk that we have. And, mm -hmm. uh, it's a very constructive discourse. So it's, and that's what I'm looking forward to. And I hope we get that level of intensity that we get that in, in our, in, in our remote teaching and get it back well, at the table. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of oversell expectations on that, but um, you know, you're talking about being energized uh, going into the new school year, but that's also because you came off sabbatical. Um, which right. is essentially a period where faculty members can take, you took a full year, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So that's where you take a full year to like, you know, refresh, you know, update your, 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 your skills and set uh, knowledge on, on any given particular topic, you know, really push on some research or like travel to check out certain things. So I know that you've got a lot of travel in your belt, but what did you do, if you mind me asking, on your sabbatical? Tell, tell, it to, tell us in, in a nutshell what you did during the sabbatical with respect to, you know, research or development. Yes. Well, to be um, okay, let's uh, in, in a nutshell. First, I have to what I'll tell you what I did first to 
to, let's say, detach and collect myself is that um, at the beginning of the last, uh, of my sabbatical last year, I went into, I went to a monastery and uh, went in a kind of a monastery where I was totally no, devi no devices uh, for about 10, 12 days. So not, not thinking that I, uh, I'm not a Zen Buddhist yet. Uh, so, but to focus and to collect myself and to detach. And that was a very good experience. And it was in, in, a, in, a, in a monastery, a Benedictine mm -hmm. monastery that has now been um, uh, refurbished and uh, is reused as this kind of, uh, I would call it even a meditation center, if you wish. And that was a very, very good experience. So that you could say, you know, it, you collect yourself, you get a new focus and you can uh, uh, recharge yourself Right. to look at certain things that was a very good experience and it was a good also to 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 get some new energy what i did in the first half was uh, uh up until let's say january is i i finalized uh, um, the book of the of the new wood mm -hmm. collaboration that we were working on with uh, the bergen uh, school of architecture we had a collab marco and polo and i we had a collaboration with cecilia anderson and espen Forgeru. And uh, altogether uh, for nine, nine thesis students. So four from the from Department of Architectural Science and five, five from the Bergen School of Architecture. And um, it was a very good experience. And we have, we collected those experiences and excerpts from those theses and commented on it in a publication that was brought out shortly before Christmas. It was also circulated in the faculty in a newsletter and it's a, there's a free download for it and it's, uh, um, there's a physical copy that goes along with it as well. This, if you'd rather have the physical than the, the PDF. And uh, that's a very good collection. And after that, yes, you want to ask something? I, I was going to say like, yeah, keep on going. Cause I think yeah. that um, the, there was just to mention, there was some exhibition of work that your students have done previously, just, just to put it out there. It's coming off. Right. Of Way trip with the with the grad students i believe right so you could say yes new wood architecture uh moving into now you could say open new wood architecture is is, is increasingly become a focus of and actually always has been as i mentioned doing my first residential buildings in wood construction always been a focus of mine so so that that, that was uh, um, the first half and the second half actually i dedicated to to more travel and in connection with my with my research work and with invitations to give lectures abroad and so on, so I was barely away. And I I I flew out of Toronto in late February, and as everyone knows, uh, Justin Trudeau called me back so <laughs> to return home. So I had the option, of course, of staying, but then not knowing when I would be able to come back and how because. Uh, more or less, I did get the the last flight out of Amsterdam in in, um, in mid March. Mid that was just mid you, wasn't it, with the rest of the family, was it? Uh, yes. Well, my 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 wife has had joined me in mid March, but we just had time actually to to take care of a few relatives and see a few relatives for about ten days before we flew out, because the. Mm -hmm. uh, was everything was moving so fa uh, quickly that we didn't know how what we, how it would be developing and uh, um, 
we weren't getting scared, but we were getting very uneasy about how, how to move forward. Because, you know, we had to, the, the plane was from Amsterdam and uh, uh, we literally got the last train, the last train to Amsterdam. That's, that sounds like a nice book. So <laughs> the last train to Amsterdam and the last flight to Toronto. Right. So, so that was all, all of those plans were curtailed by, um, by the pandemic. And what I had la laid out there and that hoped to see, by the way, also would have been for you very interesting, Vince, is that uh, the TU Munich in collaboration with the Architecture Museum in Munich mm -hmm. had a symposium and a very, or was planning a symposium, a very large exhibition of design build projects in, in the architecture faculties worldwide. Yeah. And, and I was invited to that symposium and I was uh, very, that was a very sad part, not being able to, to participate in that. And then there were a series of, um, of, of things that I had set up to focus on. And it's, it's a top, another increasingly topic of mine that I've set aside for a while also because I wasn't so much not focused on architectural theory but something that had surfaced then again and I wanted to use time for was architecture in the sense of home mm -hmm. and um, architecture in the sense of home yes and so I've been I've been working on that topic not as uh, as um, dedicated as I wanted to because of this curtailing of through the pandemic coming back to Toronto and I've then been also asked to be to to you know join in a little with the department and help out and I, I took part in some reviews for fourth year mm -hmm. for example and you, you know there's a lot of things that are happening around COVID that uh, where I felt that I, sh I should be engaged and then I got a little earlier back into engaging with the department than you probably normally would do under a under the pandemic. I'm also back and uh, I mean uh, officially I'm on sabbatical to August 31st but I've I've joined the ad admin team since August 1st again and I'm back in my position as associate chair curriculum and, mo and mobility so um that's where I want to take it because that's a good segue because I was going to say, you know, you've also not only we cover your research we cover your teaching but now let's talk about your service specifically you know the mobility thing so we had cheryl earlier and she was doing a good job uh taking the reins when you were gone you just told me you traveled around the world come on man are there any new destinations i mean barring a pandemic that cuts travel to the whole entire world but in the future do you see any good uh prospects moving forward well for for our exchange partners yeah. you yes well of course well yes i mean um We've been working on that, and uh, we've we've been with Ryerson International and trying to also coordinate how that could work. And we have we have been thinking about and and contacting and have been contacted by partners from South America, um, um, Mexico, um, Southeast Asia, uh, Asia. So uh, we are thinking about increasing our our offer offers for exchange students in those countries. Currently now, if, one, if someone wanted to be critical, we could say we're, we're a little Eurocentric. Mm -hmm. uh, that has to do also definitely with the, the networking, the tight networking we had and to make these things also possible. And of course, the, uh, um, I mean, Bergen is an excellent partner for, for Canada, uh, not right. only in, in, in climatic context, but also uh, otherwise in the way the 
the, the both schools actually very well supplement each other because they have two, two, two different approaches. Mm -hmm. So um, yes, so those are, those are partners we are currently looking at. And so, um, yeah, we hope, we hope that we can set something up there and, and offer more positions and more slots to, to students. So it's a growing program and we're really uh, happy that that's been received by the students that well. Well, I was going to say that, you know, the two, just uh, you know, off the record, a lot of us, we, you and you and I will talk about like, hey, you know, like, uh, it's a little bit of a, like a, not a competition, but it's like, yeah, we got the, the co-op program doubled its cohort. And then right. the, the, the kind of abroad mobility opportunities, they've kind of doubled up. So now we got like, you know, it's almost 50, it's almost like, a, 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 you know, one for one kind of a, a relationship. And we like to think that in co-op, you know, the best and brightest go out and, and represent our program. And, and in a similar vein, the, the mobility does the same thing. Right, so, right. No, the mobility does that. Um, and the mobility, and what we're also trying to do is, and that's why we have our exchange programs at the moment very strictly located in the fourth year. And that's mm -hmm. for a reason, of course, not only because you, you're open up to co-op, you can do co-op and exchange. Yep. Uh, we also have uh, the three streams we are looking at, so architecture, project management, and building science. We do have partners that offer also you, uh, to uh, you know, continue in your, in your expertise in that stream and your, mm -hmm. your career path in that stream for project management, it's, uh, it's currently still Co Coventry, for, for building science, it's Delft, for example. And, right. we, and of, of course, we also have with the, uh, the curriculum changes in fourth year, we also have this kind of undeclared option where you're totally open to, to, to collecting your, your credits and uh, having a more or less um, just uh, uh, bachelor of science and architectural science. Uh, so, so that's that that's a very interesting. And so that's the, that opens us up with this curricular change. It opens us up also more to to the exchange partners we have and the options they have in their curriculum. So if, if that's the if that's the case now, um, you you know I, I think that a lot of students the argument was always oh man we only have uh, architecture as the option to go and take abroad. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and I know that you've been very um, aggressive about trying to make sure that we have opportunities for all of our students, right? Correct. Regardless right. of specialization, concentration, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're, you're pushing through on that. Do you want to comment on, on, on that while we're, we're on it? Well, the, 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 you mean for the streams uh, yeah. specifically? Yeah. yeah. So, well, as project management, we have Coventry as a partner. Uh, we we they have of course that every other university and other departments and factors have changes too too so they have undergone changes in Coventry as well so we are constantly adjusting and and I would even say individually tailoring um, career paths for students mm -hmm. uh, that I would say is one of the. Uh, the most time-consuming efforts on our side uh, uh, administratively to to make that to get that match, mm -hmm. and for for Delft it's the same too because um, in for the TU Delft it's where it's taught in English our students our fourth year students same as with Bergen they get to move into their master's level mm -hmm. so they they're in their first year masters. Uh, and getting and Delft offers packages and these packages can be either a strong architecture package or a strong building science package so it depends on what, what option you choose so that that is that is there as well the other thing is it's always about the equivalencies for example Stuttgart or TU Munich they offer such a large variety of courses and if the sometimes 
students only fi find out because they have to semester wise they have changes very quickly happening and they're not announced uh, to, to each exchange student they find out when they're there wow this co course is being offered can i change my study plan i'd rather take this and this and i'm i am thinking of having building science uh, would this be uh, an equivalent for that so that i can graduate with uh, with the building science option in, right. in, in toronto and ryerson uh, yes, of course, so we have to check that quickly and make that happen. But we are, uh, have been very flexible. I mean, the student number that we're operating around 25 to 40 students, so on, that, that allows us to, to adjust that in, uh, very individually. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's a great option for students. You know, it's just, it's, yeah, so, so and another thing, I've been always telling people, like, you, you've seen me during the open house events and the, you know, my, my, my messaging to high school kids where, like, you know, other universities, they say, oh, we got this city. We, got, we sent our students to one city at fourth year, right? That, that's right. great. We've got the rest of the world, right? And, and we've got, yes, we've got the rest of the world and we have, we have such a diverse student background, which, which I find a wonderful I'm, I'm very pleased working in this di very diverse background of students we have. And they come uh, with some of them even come with a very strong proficiency in a, in, in a certain language, for example, French. So we have also Paris La Villette. We have uh, students who have been, uh, had gone to, um, went to a um, uh, French immersion school mm -hmm. and have these qualifications or come from a French background. So we also on a, a the, we have the first, we established with our department, the first pan-Canadian exchange program in architecture uh, with uh, um, Laval in Quebec. Mm -hmm. So uh, our students can also choose to go to Laval. So, you know, get a little bit of France without going, necessarily going to France. So those are, are those are wonderful um, options and we hope to advance in the same when we're talking about South America, Mexico or, or Asia, Southeast Asia, that we have the same kind of, and it's not just for students that have that, that uh, cultural background, but it is, um, it is a great opportunity for those who might want to go. Exactly. That, 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 that's great because I, I think opportunity is what we really want to pitch. And, you know, as part of the admin team, you know, it's always tricky to make sure that we provide as many opportunities as, as possible to our students, but also make sure that those opportunities are fulfilled. Right. But now that we've covered the teaching, your research and your admin, I got rapid fire to close out. Okay, you Rapid ready? fire. Okay. That means quick, quick questions, quick answers. Yep. Who's your favorite architect? Dead or alive, doesn't matter. Come on. My favorite architect. Man, you are an architecture prof, aren't you? Come on. I have so many. I'm, I'm going through my whole library at the, at the moment. Uh, it's because you only have one kid where you're like, who's your favorite kid? But come on, tell me, <laughs> who's your favorite architect, man? Oh, that's a, that's a, such a... Uh, I don't, want to, I, thing really I don't want. I, <laughs> I don't want to be pigeonholed for for naming uh, Maxville. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh. You asked me. I got it. That's fine. Who's the worst architect? Without making friends or enemies. <laughs> there are too many to name, really. So. Fine. Easy dodge. Fine. In Toronto, name me the worst building. Oh, the worst building. Don't worry, I'm dealing with co-op, so I deal with the best oh, people that you why say. Have, why is such a negative approach? Uh, <laughs> uh, the worst building. Uh, 
maybe this retrofit around the street corner where I live here. That's one of the worst buildings. That was totally ambiguous, and that was the most safe answer. Very right. safe answer. What is your biggest tip for architecture students to succeed? Be, well, be wide open to, to all topics. Be open uh, to, to, uh, to, and to investigate also new topics and to become as independent as possible um, in, in your work. Okay, good. And really wide open. That was the, okay. I, I, wide open in your thinking. In your thinking, wide open. Now going back to a negative one. Um, what's the longest time you've stayed awake? The longest time I stayed awake. Oh, that's working. Or just staying awake. I'm assuming for a reason, and I'm assuming that reason was something to do with architecture. Oh yeah. Well, it probably was 24 hours. I'm quite that's sure. It. Well, I mean, you're saying staying awake before, so then if you add another on, maybe, yeah, 32, 36 hours, something like that. After that I mean, after that, to be honest, you are not productive anymore. You, you, you need five times the time for, for simple things that you, that you do very quickly. So it doesn't really make sense, and I would totally try to avoid any kind of overnighters. Overnighters are counterproductive to what you're doing. All right, and last but not least, why would you want to study within our department? Undergraduate and graduate. Was that the answer or was that a question? Is that the question? You're, you're referring to both, to both. I would say just in general, but sure, we can, we can focus on- Well, I think I, said, I mentioned a lot about the graduate, why I, why I think it's a good program to be in. I think I, I've answered that. Uh, so please guys, you have to scroll back to that part of this, this, this podcast, but- um, I think it's a very robust program. I think it's a, it's 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 very strong, and it's uh, educating students to be to be able to survive in an architect's office. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that's why I would say that that's why it's a good program. Okay. Um, and I close off by just saying, before we say goodbye, is there any funny story? from studio that you can recall? Anything, whether you're the prof, whether you were a student, give me a good chuckle story that doesn't involve the police. Do, uh, uh, um, at Ryerson in the studio. It doesn't, it could be when you were out and teaching in Dorman, it could be, you know, when you were, uh, you know, you're studying, uh, but certainly if it was, you know, when well, you were I remember, prof, a, I may remember a story that was, I found it, I found it very funny and because, uh, uh, so, so um, when I was in uh, uh, at the University of Dortmund, uh, not Dortmund, sorry, in Hanover, Leibniz University, uh, we uh, Ralph Erskine was receiving an honorary doctorate from from our from our university, and um, I was doing my PhD then, and um, it had, a little bit of it touched also on on work of Ralph Erskine. So what I, I was at, he said that the Ralph Erskine is coming. And we thought you'd be the right uh, person to be his interpreter, English, German, and you could you can interpret for him and you would accompany him. him. He'd be here for five days and he'd like an interpreter for five days and, uh, and to show him around the city and so on and so forth. So um, that was very exciting for me because, you know, Ralph Riskin then, I don't know how old he was, maybe in his early 70s or something, mm -hmm. came, came to, to Hanover and... Uh, um, we we over time we were through the, through the few days we spent together we we you know you got a little closer and you asked 
you've got more daring in your questions and so on. So he built this wonderful little house in, for himself and his wife. And it's called The Box. Anyone want to look it up? Ralph Erskine's Box. And it's a very nice little situated uh, box in the landscape, uh, almost like in, like in cottage country, mm -hmm. uh, built by himself. And I said, I said to him, you know, I really love your, the project, The Box, but I have to ask you one, one question. Uh, where is, where's the washroom? Where's the toilet? Well, I can't, uh, it's not, a, I can't, don't see any image of it. And mm -hmm. there's no sketch that shows me the whole floor plate of it. And he just leaned forward to me and said, dear friend, when you live in the woods, you might need an umbrella. You know what? That reminds me of a couple of first year projects I won't mention. But yes. <laughs> so, so yes. It, um, and what I found was that in what it meant to me and why I've, uh, uh, it embarrassed my own thinking was that I was so narrow in my thinking that I, I meant, I thought that this box had to incorporate all functions mm -hmm. and w was limited to my experience of, of what I thought uh, living would be or what even a, a living environment would be. And that we're so accustomed to that we, you know, running water, washroom, whatever. And that we can't even imagine those two actually being maybe detached or something totally different. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find I found that uh, that was for me the the revealing thing. Yeah. And and then with that now uh, we'll close it off just to remind people that um, a uh, Erskine can't design washrooms. B, if you're ever going up to those buildings, make sure you look out for where the pine cones are versus the uh, you know. Uh, pine needles. Um, and C, I just wanted to let everyone know uh, that that's Paul Flurka in a nutshell. He's done a lot of great things uh, from a teach from a teaching perspective, a research perspective, and of course, a lot of service uh, as an admin uh, team member. And uh, he continues, he's resuming his position within the uh, Department of Architectural Science. And he's going to make sure that we continue to have a whole bunch of greater abroad opportunities. And he's going to make sure that certainly this coming fall, first year master is going to knock it out of the park. Right, Paul? Okay, uh, we will. For All sure. Right. Thanks, Thanks for having me, Vincent. Thanks very much.